Hi, this is Chris McGregor of Discerning Hearts, asking for your help during this Lenten and Easter season. Support from our listeners is vital and allows us to bring you and many others high-quality spiritual programs like the one you are listening to now. It also assists us in our outreach to areas around the globe, touching literally millions of souls via the World Wide Web. Our highly rated free Discerning Hearts app allows you to access over a thousand audio files as well as video content now available on our expanding YouTube channel. We've been able to offer online spiritual seminar retreats with Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Monsignor John Essef, and Deacon James Keating. The heart of our mission is to help foster authentic spiritual formation for the seeking soul so they can fully encounter the living Christ and share in his mission of healing hearts and spreading the good news to the world. Please, won't you help us to continue this important work of evangelization by donating today to DiscerningHearts.com. DiscerningHearts.com presents Building a Kingdom of Love, Reflections with Monsignor John Hessif. Monsignor Esif is a priest of the Diocese of Scranton, Pennsylvania. He has served as a retreat director and confessor to St. Teresa of Calcutta. He continues to offer direction and retreats for the Sisters of the Missionaries of Charity. Monsignor Esif encountered St. Padre Pio, who would become a spiritual father to him. He has lived in areas around the world, serving in the pontifical missions, a Catholic organization established by Pope St. John Paul II, to bring the good news to the world, especially to the poor. He continues to serve as a retreat leader and director to bishops, priests, and sisters, seminarians, and other religious leaders. Building a Kingdom of Love, Reflections, with Monsignor John Essif. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Good morning. Good morning, Monsignor. How are you? Good morning. I'm well, thank God. And it's Holy Thursday. There are so many facets to Holy Thursday. Holy Thursday is a love of God that is to radiate through each of us, symbolized by Jesus, the master and teacher, washing the feet of his disciples, giving us an example. The, the church, Jesus, in our day, every parish, that where the, the love of God is to be poured out this Holy Thursday. The magnificent love that's there is in the church, in the people of God, and we are to reflect it. And as we become like our master, we will be those who, in humility and love, wash the feet of one another, our brothers and our sisters, our neighbors, our enemies, the sick and the suffering, and all those who come to us in need. That is what the church is to reflect. This is what we say we are going to be as disciples of Jesus Christ. Important that I read that text, which will be read with the the readings on Holy Thursday. This has directly to do and is taken from the Gospel of St. John. Before the feast of the Passover, Jesus realizing that the hour had come for him to pass from this world to the Father. He had loved his own in this world and would show his love for them to the end. The devil 
had already induced Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to hand Jesus over. And so during the supper, Jesus, fully aware that he had come from God and was going to God, the Father, who had handed everything over to him, rose from the table and the meal, took off his cloak, he picked up a towel and tied it around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and dry them with the towel he had around him. Thus he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, You may not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter replied, You shall never wash my feet. If I do not wash you, Jesus answered, You will have no share in my heritage. Lord, Simon Peter said to him, Then not only my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus told him, The man who has bathed has no need to wash except for his feet. He is entirely cleansed, just as you are, though not all. The reason he said not all are you are washed clean was that he knew who his betrayer was. After he had washed their feet, he put his cloak back on and reclined a table once more. He said to them, Do you understand what I just did for you? You address me as teacher and Lord, and fittingly so, for so I am. But if I washed your feet, I who am teacher and Lord, then you must wash each other's feet. What I just did was to give you an example. As I have done, so must you do. Now that is where the mandate comes from, the gospel of the Lord. That particular ceremony, the washing of the feet, is a sign of how we are to treat one another. So that when we come together in our assembly on Holy Thursday, and this particular ceremony is celebrated, and, you know, the washing of the feet, why was it that Peter objected so strongly? Because his feet were dirty and smelly and stinky. And Jesus, the Lord and Master, now chooses this particular sign and makes it a mandate, if I am your teacher, your rabbi, and I am your Lord, I am the Lord, the Lord, that's who I am. And that he, they, Peter knew what he meant. And my hour has now come. And before I pass from here to the Father, this is the sign I give you. How important this last will and testament is. I am here telling you, 
the most important message that I have to give before I pass from this world to the next. What is it? I want you, who are the greatest, to wash the feet of everyone. What is the sign of your greatness? It's the sign of your humility to wash the feet of one another. And so, when you see the pastor of your parish, who is supposed to be the one who is representing Jesus among you, take and wash the feet of the people in the parish. What is that to you, Father? You, the dad. What is that to you as a mother? It's an important sign. The, the father and mother of a family who are going to teach their little ones about God, it's most important that you take this sign. And look what you're doing, all of you who are parents. From the moment your children are born, you care for them. You wash them. You bathe them. You cleanse them. You feed them. You care for them. And you know, when when your child is born, you know, even those who are, are born in the most wonderful circumstances of uh, the hospital surrounding of cleanliness, wanting to have this baby have its as it comes forth from the mother, covered with a placenta, with blood, and now to wash the baby and to cleanse the baby and to love the baby and to care for the baby and to nurse the baby. What a, a magnificent opportunity each one of you has. Do you know who that baby is? It's Jesus. You know, when Jesus says, I was hungry and you gave me to eat, you did that with your children. Now, there's a, a relationship that you as a mother have. It's not just in nature, but it's in our supernatural life. You husbands to your wives, you parents to your children, you brothers and sisters to one another, the elder to the younger. All of us are called on this particular Holy Thursday to examine ourselves on how we keep this mandate. And so as we prepare for Holy Thursday, what is that sign that we want to have in our lives that we are disciples of the Lord? If I, Jesus says, am your Lord and Master, and fittingly so you call me this, for that is what I am. But if I have washed your feet, I who am teacher and Lord, then you must wash each other's feet. What I have just done was to give you an example. As I have done, so must you do. Now, if I am an authentic follower and disciple of the Lord, that will be how people see me. A person who is ready and willing to serve the other, to be at the service of one another. The sign that he is in me, the sign that he has given me of his life and his spirit, 
and his heart will be that I am ready to wash the feet of my brothers and sisters and one another. And that extends not only to your wife and your husband, although it has to begin there, you parents and your children, brothers and sisters, and also your enemies. Now, if I enter this Holy Week and I examine my mind and my heart and I find that there is there this bitterness or anger or brokenness from anyone, then that is how I must prepare for Holy Thursday. Where charity and love abide, there God is ever found. And so the ceremony of the washing of the feet is so essential to the celebration of Holy Thursday that John takes it and puts it right there at the beginning of the Last Supper discourse. He is he, he is bringing it forward for all of us to see ourselves in the light of that commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. Now, I, I really believe that it's, and you know what John is saying, that this is as important as when we have the celebration of the sacrifice of Christ's body and blood. To love one another as I have loved you is equal. If you don't do this, then you really don't know what you're doing when you're taking and breaking the bread and when you're sharing the cup. For you to take and eat, this is my body, and take and drink, this is my blood, is not really knowing what Jesus has done at that Last Supper. Equally important is the washing of the feet. Mm. I think you really convicted us all when you mentioned your enemy, that you even wash the feet of your enemy. It, that's a tough one, Monsignor. I mean, and we all want to do it, and we all can say we can forgive from a distance, but to actually touch their feet and to wash it and to encounter them, yes. that's a tough one. Yes. And in fact, it is the sign. Why is it such a sign? Can you tell me, Chris, as you see what what was it doing here? When you see Jesus so humble himself and has to take off his garment so he can wash, like you just said, the, the muddy, icky feet of someone. You can do that to your child. You can do that to a parent and, and a dear friend. But somebody who kind of even growling at you as you're doing it, wow, that's the... That can be very challenging. I know there are, there are a lot of uh, nurses who have very, very difficult patients who are in the hospital demanding, uh, maybe cursing at you, and where were you with that bedpan or whatever. Now, mm-hmm. for you to see in that, in that patient, you know, this, this Holy Thursday, for you to see in that employee, this person who wants to sue you, uh, as, as you're trying to run your company, for you to see uh, someone who is your, your ex-son-in-law and who has been so so terrible to your grandchildren and, and abandoning 
your daughter and your and 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 what whatever that for you to see Jesus in them and respond with love. Who is the oh, why is that again? The question. Why is that such a sign? So what I can see myself saying is to God, I can't do that, God. Who can do it is Jesus. So that if he lives in me, then he in me has to do it. If his heart is in me and I am living with his heart, then he in me through his heart can do that. I can't. When I discover the the limits of my love, then I begin to discover the beginning of his love in me. He is in me, and the demands that are required to love and serve others, especially I, he is the Lord, and I have received him into me. I can take and eat his flesh and drink his blood. And at the moment of eating his body and drinking his blood, I can become one in union with Jesus. That's what the Eucharist is. Uh But when I exercise the mandate of service of my enemy and everyone else, then it has to be him in me. It takes more than just me to do that. It's him in me exercising that love and performing that work. When we do it, Monsignor, especially when it's a challenging encounter with someone in, in providing that service, is it important... And, and this may sound like a dumb question, but is it important the attitude in which we approach it? At, and where I'm going with that is that some people may say, well, I'm going to do it. I'm going to kill them with kindness. I'm going to do it and I'll show you. I'll be servant. As opposed to doing it out of love for the Jesus they're encountering, even if it's difficult for us to see him in the moment. Yeah, you can actually do acts of kindness to hurt your enemy. Mm-hmm. I'll do this for burning coals on your head. And I'm really right. glad when I see you fry over this. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm mm-hmm. really glad to see you squirm. Mm-hmm. When, uh, when, you know, I, I, when I was a, a child especially, I, I really had, I, I used to picture Judgment Day. And I used to think of the person who had hurt me. And mm-hmm. I would be there and God would be there and this person who had hurt me would be there. And God would say to me, is this the person that hurt you? Yes, God, that's the person. And is, is this the one that, that, that made you do go through this? Yes, God, that's the one. He's the one. Now, what I want you to do, God, is make him suffer right now. <laughs> I mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and I, wa- I want you to, and I remember one time I was even so annoyed with one of my bishops. I remember after I, he died, and I was pretty sure he was going to be in purgatory. And I refused to offer Mass for several days because I wanted him to fry a little bit before I was mm-hmm. going to relieve him by offering a Mass for him. 
and and mm-hmm. that, and I thought, no, I'm going to make him squirm and get his little fanny burned by by the flames of purgatory. I think he deserves it for what he did to me. Now that is really sick. That is really sick. But you can have that mentality, and mm-hmm. and you can have this this desire for vengeance on your enemy, even when they die. Mm-hmm. And and so where is uh, where is the love? So it's it's the love is in the heart of Jesus. So mm-hmm. that as I take on His heart, I am your teacher and Lord, and I am. That's who I am. And John, he's saying to me, I am in you. Now, if you're going to wash the feet of the disciples, then this is what it means. This is what mm-hmm. it means. That I want you to love each person like I love them. And how do you love them, Lord? I love them, and I'm expressing this love by washing their feet. Now, I'm showing you this example because I want you to be that way. So that the the foot washing, as an example, is that low act of a slave to their master. So that this is what I, the master, am doing as a slave, a slave's work. Of course, that that is the uh, that that really is the spirit that w- I want to to develop and have in my heart. And so, as I prepare for Holy Thursday to go over in my my list of attitudes, my my uh, my list of people, neighbors, fellow workers students, employees, employers, teachers, neighbors. Now, how, how much is that uh, mandate of love are going to apply? Um, I, I, I'm sure that as I would do this and I would go through my, my family, as I would go through my, my mother and father, my brothers and sisters, my grandparents, my in-laws, my teachers, all, all of that demands uh, an examine for each of us to go over. Those whose feet are extremely difficult for me to wash, whose presence is so difficult for me even to acknowledge, and I would bring that uh, right up front uh, as I am going to celebrate this ceremony so that all these people can be brought in my heart, in my heart, so that I could wash their feet. By this shall all know that you are my disciples because you love one another. Amen. Amen. We'll return to Building the Kingdom of Love with Monsignor John Esseth in just a moment.
the Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father, through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary, and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death, and was buried, and rose again on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. We now return to Building the Kingdom of Love with Monsignor John Essek. Monsignor, how do we know when we are to engage with others, as you had described to us in the washing of the feet, that even our enemy, we are to love them and nurture them? How do we know when we're supposed to, to be there, even though it may not be what we desire, and the difference between knowing when we need to retreat, like Jesus did, like we need to go alone. Over and over again, Chris, there's he talked about, it is not my hour, this is not mm-hmm. my time, this is not my hour, that mm-hmm. actually we must learn to discern. I think there are many people who have spiritual lives, but don't have the, the gift of discernment. And mm-hmm. discernment tells you when 
and when to say yes and when to say no, when to go out, when to stay at home. And so the, 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 uh, the hour is, is the timing is when, when is it God's time? What is the Father's will here? And so it's always in, uh, for a person who wants to live a life on the, in the third level of the heart, where, mm-hmm. where the Holy Trinity dwells, it's always a question in my heart, as it was in Jesus, is this what my Father wills for me now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where I would say, the saints are those who have the gift of discernment. And discernment is for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all the time, the Christian is discerning, what does my father want? So that Jesus, in his living of the Paschal mystery and telling us how to discern, is, is always uh, teaching us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, what is that moment? Mary did it perfectly. She always did and sought the will of the Father. And mm-hmm. we too must do and seek that will. It's, it's not an attempt to avoid your question, but it's a mm-hmm. matter of, it's not that this is the only time I'll, I'll know when I'm dealing with my enemy. I, it's when I'm dealing with my husband, because maybe at times mm-hmm. your husband will be your enemy in the sense that you're supposed to avoid something here rather than mm-hmm. engage it. Mm-hmm. That's so helpful. I mean, when we especially look at the events of the Tritium and on Holy Thursday, when Jesus brings that great gift to us of the Eucharist, I mean, by that instituting that within the life of the apostles and then also of the church. I mean, he could have done that earlier in his ministry, but he waited until this moment. If you, if you read John 6, uh, mm-hmm. where his discourse on the bread of life, he takes the occasion of the multiplication of loaves where he feeds the 5,000 and he mm-hmm. feeds them with the five loaves, few fish. And then on that occasion, when he feeds their hunger, their physical hunger, he then in John 6 promises uh, that I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. And then he and then he goes on this long discourse in teaching about his flesh as being food, his blood as being drink. Now this was a, a strong, powerful teaching, and to the point where some of his uh, followers were scandalized. How could he give us his flesh to eat? He doesn't back away, so he continues in the strength of that. Now that was long before the Last Supper. He gave that discourse on his Mm -hmm. flesh being food, his blood being drink. But all of them had that in mind. When he now sits with them and he's about to die, he now gives them his body in this bread and his blood and and under the appearance of this wine. So how he was going to do it, he didn't say. He he did say, uh, you must eat my flesh and you must drink my blood. But the hour, my hour has now come. The hour of darkness is here. That's why I believe this year is such an exciting time. It's an hour of darkness. And when, you know, the stars shine during the, during the daytime, they're out there. 
but you don't see the stars until night. Mm-hmm. It's the hour of darkness. And when this hour has come, this darkness, and he's about to die, this, is, this then becomes his hour. And he's always waiting for the hour. This is my hour. So if you look at uh, the Holy Eucharist as the hour, see, Holy Thursday is the time especially when Jesus is giving us himself with his own hands. Here he is physically with the apostles. And he says, take and eat, this is my body. Now, if you're, if you're with him, just watch his hands and watch himself and take the Eucharist, which the apostles did, and they're eating. They're actually eating his flesh and they're understanding what they're doing and they're drinking his blood and they're understanding what they're doing. And the Holy Spirit is assisting them in that last supper. Now, the fullness of the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. And this tradition, has uh, this uh, celebration of the Eucharist has already been in the church, as we know from the 11th chapter of Paul. Paul is saying, I only hand it on to you in teaching about the Eucharist what I myself received when he at the Last Supper took bread and gave us tea. He gave us his flesh to eat and took the, the wine and gave us his blood to drink. He had, they were already celebrating that. They were celebrating the Eucharist. The apostles were. The most magnificent celebration of it in the Gospels is the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Here is a description of the Mass. Jesus walking along with these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, explaining to them the scriptures. That's what we do at Eucharist. We listen to the word of God, and the word of God is speaking to us. We actually, when we are celebrating the the liturgy of the word, it's Jesus' presence speaking to us, Jesus in the homily teaching us so that his presence is there at the Eucharist. And then he now, after he instructs us with his word, by teaching us, did you ever notice the priest at the word of God? He reads the scripture, he reads the gospel, and then he kisses the book. That is a kiss to the lips of Jesus. He's he's speaking. It's his presence. And so the and and the celebrant then kisses the book. Thank you. The words of your mouth, the words of your lips I kiss and I embrace. Then after we hear what he speaks to us in our hearts, then we sit and we'd offer him the bread and the wine, which are then consecrated, take and eat, take and drink. This is my body. This is my blood. So every Eucharist, the Lord, as he did in the road to Emmaus, he, he explains the scriptures to us, and then what does he do? We recognize him in the breaking of the bread. When they said, please sit with us and, and have have something to eat with us. And so he sits and he takes the bread and he breaks it. And and that 
was always seen as the celebration of the Eucharist, uh-huh. the very powerful Eucharistic celebration of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Holy Thursday is set aside by the church too as one of the most important moments in that. Inst- I mean, so much for the Eucharist that we have this beautiful procession at, ar- around the the church, or maybe even in some places outside. I mean, it's just to really lift up and praise God for this great gift. And it seems as though, Monsignor, unfortunately, for many Catholics, our, our churches may be half full on this, on a, in a parish that may have as many as 12,000 people in it, or maybe even more. They may only have 500 people who come. Yeah, it's, it's really unfortunate. And in my tradition, though, I, I think maybe in some way uh, we may not have appreciated, maybe we did. But as children growing up, that was one of the most powerful times of our uh, liturgical year, that as altar boys and altar servers, as parishioners in our parish, our church was packed with people for Holy Thursday. And it was then that the Mass was celebrated, and then we went from the altar, which we saw as the main altar in the church, and there was always set up an altar of reposition, it was called. And after the procession, the priest would take the Blessed Sacrament because all of the Eucharistic celebration, the hosts that were consecrated at the Holy Thursday celebration, were then taken in procession by the priest, who then, as with benediction, was robed with a cope over his shoulders, and then Eucharistic ministers, altar servers, candle bearers, cross bearer, would go in a Eucharistic procession, and the priest would be going through the crowd, blessing the people, and they would all be kneeling down as we sang Eucharistic hymns, and it would process either all around the church, outside the church at times. In South America, this was a big time for the Eucharistic procession. And then after the long procession, then the Eucharist was taken to the altar of repose or reposition. There, the Blessed Sacrament was adored. This altar was ornately trimmed with flowers and and all kinds of drapery and all kinds of lights. The priest would deposit the Blessed Sacrament there, and people all through the night would keep watch and vigil at the altar of reposition. So that from the time that the procession stopped. Now, this was a tradition in our church, and not only in ours, but people would go from one church to another to visit the altar where the Blessed Sacrament was reserved. This was a strong tradition in, in, our, in our area and in our time. It's such a beautiful opportunity for people to go and pray. Yes. But I've been at large mega parishes where there will only be maybe three or four people praying Mm -hmm. through the evening, Mm -hmm. you feel fortunate 
to be able to share that with them. Yeah. I mean, it, I'm not sure why that particular devotion seems to have waned in our Catholic experience. There's an increase of Eucharistic devotion and adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. And I, I believe if once this again, people become aware uh, of their opportunity, this also is a magnificent time to pray during the night because this was the time that Jesus, after he had the supper, then goes into the Garden of Agony. After they sing a few hymns, and after the Garden of Agony, he's taken away, and there's his trial during the night by the Sanhedrin, and all during the night that he is buffeted and, and uh, abused so badly by the chief priests and the Pharisees, and then taken very early in the morning to Pilate so that they could have him crucified um, before that day ends. So the, the trial before the Sanhedrin it takes place on Thursday night. I would encourage anyone to take that Last Supper discourse of John, St. John's Gospel, chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17. What a magnificent evening to spend with the Lord, to take your scriptures and to sit before the Blessed Sacrament and spend a few hours. I think many people, husbands, wives, teenagers, children, could spend time there. And there's, there's those of you who are listening. Why not during, if there is this, this custom in your, in your parish, which there was in mine, to spend between two and three in the morning or between three and four before the Blessed Sacrament, praying those chapters and keeping, because one of the things that Jesus asked for in the Garden of Agony is, could you not watch one hour with me? If he's asking for that, that, that was his sacred heart, had a very special desire. One of the devotions that he asked of Margaret Mary is not only on Holy Thursday, but every Thursday, first up before the first Friday, to spend between 11 and 12 o'clock with him. And that was a precious hour. Could you not watch one hour with me? And if this is him, and it is, if he stays with us, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all year long in our tabernacles, longing for conversation. Why did he come and say, I will be with you always? And why in this particular way? If he didn't want us to come and spend time with him, talk about availability. Talk about the opportunity to get to know him more intimately, and especially in the Eucharist. So Eucharistic adoration and this Eucharistic celebration of conversation, listening and speaking with Jesus Christ himself. I remember once in my life, and I did have this, I had an opportunity to have an hour 
with John Paul II. I was finishing my tour duty in Beirut. I so wanted to speak with the Holy Father. Eventually, got arranged so that I had one hour of private time with one now, and certainly is a saint, John Paul. Mm-hmm. I, I, I treasured that time and what I spent with him and what I was able to hear from him and what I said to him. What about Jesus? And I could have that every day, not just once in a lifetime. Or take the person who you most admire and would most want to be with. If you're a baseball player, one of your baseball stars, or if you're, if you're someone who likes movies, a, a Hollywood star, or for someone that you admire so much or look to so much as a political leader or an economic outstanding person who succeeded in what they have done, you have an opportunity every day to be with Jesus Christ, the most outstanding person in the entire world, and he makes himself available to you. The, the awakening to that, I hope, this Holy Thursday, this time, can be awakened in you to transform my life and yours. Archbishop Sheen, as busy as he was in his clauses up for beatification and canonization, made a holy hour every day of his life as busy as he was. And he always preached that, to make a holy hour every day before the Blessed Sacrament. That uh, This hour is a powerful time. Whenever you do it, however you do it, there's, there's this magnificent opportunity to adore, praise, be with, and come to know Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. Holy Thursday is the time where we come to know this gift, which is the center of our Eucharist, of our lives as Christians. The Mass is the very center of our lives. Mm. Monsignor, it also is the, just the beginning of what has been termed the Tridium, the Great Holy Days. Yes. It's one ongoing liturgy for the next three days leading up to Easter. Yes. Holy Thursday, Good Friday, and, and then, of course, the celebration on Easter. You see, Chris, what we have here in these three days, it's the Holy, the Triduum, is, is the Paschal Mystery. The mm. Paschal Mystery is the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. In three, these three days... The church has seen the very center of the life of what goes on within each of us. When we were baptized, we were baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, when you were baptized, you were baptized cruciform. The water was poured over to you, over you in the form of a cross. And Mm -hmm. so, the divine life of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has been introduced into you as a baptized person. You were baptized into Christ Jesus. Originally, the baptism celebration was done in water. That is, the, by immersion, 
In fact, every baptism was standing in a pool of water. And the baptistry, and some churches now, we make an attempt to have this renewed in the way it had originally been done to get more Uh the idea of what the baptism ceremony is. The person would go down into the water and would be asked, do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? And the baptized one to receive baptism and in the rite of initiation uh, for Christians of adult, they're going to be introduced into this ceremony. They would go down into the water. Every time I would baptize with this new ritual, I would always use pool to do it. So mm-hmm. they go into the, under the water then, and they would die with Christ and then rise through the Father. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, and rose again from the dead? Now, you say, I do believe. Now, that faith, that living faith in Jesus Christ, is that into which you're going to be baptized. And so you'll go down into the tomb with Jesus, under the water, and you're raised again. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body, and life everlasting, and down into the water again, and pulled up again. See, the baptism is going on inside of you now, the Paschal Mystery. Mm -hmm. The three days that we're celebrating, the beginning day, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, this takes place on Holy Saturday. That is the baptism and the initiation of the new members. Those who have already been baptized and confirmed. And so we, who are already, are participating in this celebration of Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Because this is our life. What is our life? Our life is life in Jesus Christ, the Trinity, who dwells within us. What is our life in the Trinity? The suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because it is through him, and with him, and in him, that we have been born to everlasting life, that is, to the life in the Trinity. Jesus is our entrance into the Trinity. He is our Savior and our Redeemer. And so Holy Thursday is the first day of the Triduum, and then we have Good Friday, in which we have the Eucharistic expression that take and eat, Take and drink. This is my. What am I? What am I doing here? I'm doing what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. I'm going to die. My laying down of my life for you in this Eucharistic celebration. I will affect tomorrow on Good Friday, and I will conquer sin, Satan, and death, and rise over death, and conquer over Satan and conquer all sin through my resurrection. So there you have, in the three days, that Paschal mystery. Wow. Monsignor, just as a gentle reminder to all of those who have been following your talks, especially since Ash Wednesday, there was the real encouragement to not view this as the culmination of our spiritual awakening, but we're about almost halfway through at really, because you encouraged us not to do just the 
the 40 days of Lent, but also 90 days. Yes. So yeah. everyone should should keep keep moving. Well, this isn't yeah, the end because you're going to see that these weeks after Easter are concentrating on preparing us for Pentecost because the the learning to live this Paschal mystery for the newly baptized and the baptized is that which we do every year. The life here on earth prepares me to live this life forever in heaven. The redemption and the salvation that comes through the Paschal mystery prepares me. The baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist are the initiation into this divine life that I breathe every day. My heart is beating every moment. That is just a continuation and a living. So when Easter comes, what what does it mean? Well, you're just a newborn baby. Um, Actually, when you're coming forth from the baptismal font, well, you're just, you're just, well, what do you do with a newborn baby? You're just going to, you really need milk and you really can't eat meat yet, as St. Paul says. So, that 90 days, and I hope uh, those of us who have been following this time, that this isn't like 40 days now and Easter comes and the, and the celebration's over. No, 90 days. Mm-hmm. We have to really be, go from Easter right up to Pentecost for the next 50 days to be prepared for the, the living of this life as it's to be lived. Any final thoughts for this particular segment, Monsignor? I, uh, I think the uh, view that you would have of the Holy Eucharist that uh, I would like you to think of when the priest elevates the host and mm-hmm. elevates the chalice at that moment. They are, the church always sees every Mass as a celebration of the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The overriding celebration which we have is joy. I love the view of the cross where Jesus is dying and there's a slight smile on his face because he's done the will of his Father. You know that even if you were to see Jesus, yes, bleeding, Yes, broken, but smiling. I did my father's will. And as you look at the host, and as you look at the chalice, joy. And especially the joy of Easter. That all this suffering always ends in resurrection. So that the life of Jesus in the Paschal Mystery is triumph. The life of Jesus in the Paschal Mystery is joy. And if you're going through at any of these celebrations, as you celebrate these events, that never let the sorrows of your life interfere with the joy of resurrection. The life with Jesus Christ 
is truly a comedy, not a tragedy. The only tragedy would be if we didn't gain heaven. And may Almighty God bless all of us. May everyone who is hearing this be in heaven with Jesus forever. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Building a Kingdom of Love, Reflections with Monsignor John Essif. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com, or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer rock-solid and authentic spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com And join us next time for Building a Kingdom of Love, Reflections with Monsignor John Essef.